I am your host, Joelle Alexandria Weir, and welcome to A Future for Us, where I conduct audio documentaries, interviews, and stories as it pertains to us in our modern world. Check out our Instagram, A Future for Us, and for inquiries, email afutureforus99 at gmail.com. If you want to get to know me a little more, follow my public account at joelle.a.alexandria, J-O-E-L-L-E, and my Twitter at wjoelle, links in the description. This podcast episode is called, Are We Living in a Post-Racial Society? Featuring Canadian storyteller and journalist, Angeline Francis. This episode will be split into two parts. In part one, we will be discussing the power behind using words describing the Black Lives Matter movement. being specific about racialized communities, political correctness, woke activism, and the Milwaukee Bucks. Welcome to part one. Yeah, so I just want to start off the conversation by talking a little bit about how the Black Lives Matter movement has seeped into a lot of spaces where people usually don't see it, and especially for, in this case, the Milwaukee Bucks. So they decided not to do their playoffs against the Orlando against Orlando Magic, and that's bring that's brought a lot of conversation into that sector of sports and how it's affecting the players, and just it's because it's very personal. So, do you think this was effective in promoting the conversation about anti-black racism? I think it is a big statement for sure to threaten to cancel a game or cancel a game and or not go through with your playoff games because especially for this season, it's a season that so many people have waited for. Mm-hmm. It's been so delayed and so much effort has gone into it to make it happen in the bubble. Um, but I was talking about it with some friends last night too, and it's there are elements of it that are really impactful and really a statement making and then other elements that just kind of uh, seem like they're reflecting the big corporate grab at Black Lives Matter and the yeah. big corporate support of the movement that is happening all of a sudden for reasons that honestly kind of surprised me mm-hmm. since it just happened one after the other of people making statements in June uh, or I should say companies rather making statements in June and seeing players with on the back of their jerseys saying things like love us and education reform and black mm-hmm. lives matter and say her name some of it feels a little bit like slogany yeah <laughs> and a little bit um feels a little bit slogany and it, some of it feels a little bit like corp corp it feels a little bit like what more will actually be done yeah and to actually talk about the conversations yeah it's and it's uh it's so terrible because now it's like all these companies are pushing for reform like uh, like especially for how many employees make up their company and whether it's it's diverse and then they're like okay well we need to reform and we need to go out and actively hire these types of people but it's like we should have been doing that before like what were you doing before 
Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm starting to think of all the other ways that it's all connected, too. I mm-hmm. can't remember the details, but Ava DuVernay's documentary 13 talks about the different companies that use prison labor as cheap labor for mm-hmm. as, um, as cheap labor for their corporations. So are these places also the same ones putting out those statements saying that Black Lives Matter and that they want to see police reform? or whatever it is that they put out in those statements, meanwhile, possibly still having these practices that don't benefit everybody. Yeah. So then going off of this, when you talk about this, like, woke activism and people just doing it very, to be, like, very performative rather than actually meaning it, do you think Black Lives Matter is working to change the conversation? Is this something that a lot of more people are actively talking about, or are they just sort of just seeing it without without any sort of meaning or context i think what i've observed at least is that it's not as i don't think a lot of people have actively tried to to challenge mm-hmm. i don't think people i don't think um activists at black lives matter have actively tried to challenge what may be performative and what may just be um, a black tile on Instagram or a corporation putting out a statement. I don't think they've put effort towards that. I think they've still just been trying to uh, seize the opportunity and move forward conversations about defunding the police and Mm -hmm. conversations that they've always had. And not just Black Lives Matter, at least in Toronto, there's other groups that have formed as well too, like Not Another Black Life and and other organizations that have already existed too, who are just, I think, trying to seize the moment in a smart way to get their messaging across more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that's that's kind of, yeah, it's it's not really what we need right now. We, we We definitely need these conversations, but we also need to have people who are actively listening and hearing rather than just like putting out and like, okay, this is what you want, right? So yeah, I think the, the conversation is definitely being moved forward, but it's just, we need to have people who are more active in listening. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. Like you've definitely mm-hmm. seen people like, more people have donated, I think, than at any other point in these recent years of organizing. I've mm-hmm. definitely heard, had conversations with family members who say like, oh yeah, $25 here, $25 there. So there's monetary support, there's people speaking about it. And there are definitely people who I've noticed who have maybe never said a word about these kinds of things and are racialized but aren't black. And I've seen them constantly calling out uh, moment instances of anti-blackness through Instagram and when they see events being put on, like within their own realms, at least. Like the example I'm thinking of was a fitness panel that had nothing but white people speaking on it. And mm. they were quick to say, okay, so do you really want, who is it that you really want to participate in this? And why is it that you're not putting in the effort to find black voices and find extra people, especially at a time like this when it's what people are being, what people are speaking out constantly. So there are a good chunk of people I see calling out different performative, uh, performative instances, performative events, people who maybe said something early on in June and have gotten quiet now. So there are different people who are still moving the conversation forward, but for people who are activists and who are organizing and who are trying to make even bigger, broader change in different realms, Uh, they've really just been seizing the moment from what I've observed and really just been 
using the momentum and the um, the feeling that seems to be so omnipresent at corporations and with different people to to act and to at least not appear to be racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think people have just been. Um, They've been able to seize it in a really in a way that's a, unlike anything that I've seen in my life. Yeah. So when, how do we address the interconnectedness or intersectional intersectionality of racism? Because not many people perceive different experiences, especially when it's a black man or a black woman. They kind of just see it as black, or if it's black and like a different sexuality like um like gay or bi or even if you're trans how do you how do we effectively address this oh it's so hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is so hard sometimes but i i can talk from my experience and what i've seen and what i've observed i've Mm -hmm. definitely seen it click for more people lately like i've had friends of mine uh a a black of a friend of mine who's a black man he came to me and said I just finally became aware of the ways that I may actually be stifling black women. I don't, that wasn't the word he used, but just ways mm-hmm. that he may not be considering how different the challenges black women deal with mm-hmm. and the racism that black women deal with in addition to the sexism is. But he came to me and was asked and was actually trying to have that conversation and see what ways in the past he may have, he may have uh, been insensitive maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, And then you have an example of like a few years ago when the conversation about having police at Pride was uh, put forth by Black Lives Matter. And full disclosure, I have a couple of friends who were involved in that. But um, I remember watching an interview with one of the people who had such a hard time conveying to to people that I am queer and I am Black. Therefore, I can have this conversation about police being at Pride. And it's not as though I'm trying to ruin all the fun for the people involved, because I'm one of the people that this parade is supposed to be for. And I remember seeing that interview and thinking, wow, this is really not coming. It doesn't seem like this is clicking to the person conducting the interview. And it's weird how you just can't hold these two things in your head at the same time when people have so many things that make them who they are. Um, It's become... It's always been a challenge, I think, because you almost feel like you have to choose which battle you're going to fight for. And there are so many um, writers who have written about this. I'm pretty sure Audrey, Audrey Lord and Sister Outsider. Was that the book I was reading? I hope it was. <laughs> I feel bad if the reference isn't correct. But she, they write about that, too. They write about the challenge of trying to of wanting to join feminist movements that don't represent them and wanting to join movements for black rights and finding that they're mostly centered on men. And even in this day and age, we say, say her name because so many people can't, can't recall the names of black women who have been killed by police, but you can rattle off maybe 10 black men at least, because that's what we'd be giving the attention to. And I think a way, I think to move forward with it, we really just have to, constantly be challenging it within ourselves and within the ways that we work and really giving it more active thought. I think that's what requ- what is required a lot. And um, people think of it as something that is so difficult to do, even on, even on the smaller scale of like a blogger featuring more black businesses. It, 
something that you actively have to do sometimes if it's not front of your mind to seek out, but it's so worth it to do. It doesn't deteriorate the quality of what you're putting out. It doesn't deteriorate the quality of my article to seek out a person who's racialized to speak speak to from a quote. They may have not had as much publicity. They may have not been placed right in front of my face. They may not be if I were white in my direct network, but it's just pushing past the laziness of trying to go for whoever is given to you on a silver platter and actually digging for people to make sure that you're being more representative. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, and especially when you said it's hard to like juggle having these big, maybe like three or like two, however many identities you would identify with and being in a public setting and being like, hey, like I'm still valid even though I mesh with all these different groups. And that's a funny thing. Mm. It's almost like it's hard for other people, but it's not hard for me. I'm mm. just living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's just like so many things that we've been thinking or haven't really been challenging within ourselves are coming, are being brought to light. And I just think that's really important. And also, I just want to clarify something with your friend and being, and talking about having police at Pride, was, were they talking about they would like police at Pride in order to protect themselves? Or were they saying that it might be a little bit, because it might be a little bit wrong because they were a racial community, a racial No, no, I don't know. Um, but it was in 2016. You could mm -hmm. kind of look it up. It was a few years ago. Um, but it was uh, Black Lives Matter was the honor group at Pride, and mm -hmm. then they led a protest uh, where they asked for a bunch of different demands, but the one that media and journalists focused on was asking for pol uniformed police officers not to have a float in the parade anymore. Oh, okay. And for uniformed officers not to be present, so that's what that was. I didn't really explain too deep, but... Oh, okay. All right. And then also, when you're addressing racism, what are the benefits of saying of saying the actual name of the racialized community rather than just saying POC or like people of color or even maybe not even using acronyms. Yeah, I think it is so important to be as specific as you can in reporting and in talking about what it is you're talking about. Uh, we learned that as journalists, you learn to be precise with your words. You learn to look up the definition of things you learn you learn to try to be as accurate as possible. So I feel like that is what comes along with trying to name things the correct way. So <clears throat> you really, it's almost like racism is a pyramid, I guess. I don't know if that would be a good example, but there's different levels to this. There's different degrees of discrimination, degrees of ways people have been oppressed systemically. And I think it just adds to what you're speaking about. If you say that this person is black, if you say that we're talking about anti-black racism, if you say that we're talking about anti-Chinese racism right now with COVID, that's what a lot of the, um, that's what's happening a lot with people who are, at, who have been attacking Chinese or Chinese looking people and here in Canada in, in Vancouver and in the GTA as well. Um, if you're talking about uh, racism against Indian folks, if you're talking about racism um, in different ways, if you're talking about racism against indigenous folks in this country, I think that when you talk about, when you talk about different racial groups, you're talking about different history. 
and you're talking about a different present as well. People are treated very differently in the present and experience different kinds of oppression and live different kinds of lives Mm -hmm. and have different kinds of issues. So being specific, it's kind of difficult to lump it all together and say that the racism that an Asian person experiences is the exact same as the racism that a black person experiences. They're, They're both reprehensible, but they're both different. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of well, my, my pastime has sort of been, like, just looking at different documentaries and especially how it relates to cinema because cinema is usually a direct, direct reflection on things in our society, but they were going over different stereotypes of different races and how they're all different. And even though, like, we're all experiencing racism, there's levels to it and how, like, we're not saying... They weren't saying that, oh, this one isn't as bad as this, but they're just saying it's all bad, but the way it presents the way how it presents itself is unique to each person because of yeah, just like exactly. yeah because of like the history and stuff and I was like wow and that's why like when you're talking about like um ra- like exp- experiences of different racialized communities it's important to be so specific and talk about like w- which one are you talking about just so that yeah. we can get like the context of it and not kind of just blanket over it and even like I've been sort of moving away from acronyms and kind of not being like okay BIPOC or um, by POC or like just talking about oh black and indigenous people or talking about um, like just just being very specific just in order to convey a certain message and mm-hmm. what like speaking of like words and how we use how we use words to describe different types of racism what's the effect of using words to portray the Black Lives Matter movement like riots protests and uprisings and does that affect the viewership of a story. Yeah, I just actually wrote a piece about this, a little bit of kind of like a glossary of terms that mm-hmm. ha- that come up when you talk about anti-Black racism and, the, and when you talk about activism in this realm. And I spoke with a few different professors uh, who... Um, I spoke with a few different professors who study race and policing and who study women, gender... Um, and they, a lot of them emphasize, I also, I also spoke to Sandy Hudson, uh, from Black Lives Matter Toronto, and a lot of what they were speaking about was how these kinds of words are also then associated with the people who are behind the movement and how some of these words encourage you to think of the reason behind their actions and some of them kind of deter the conversation from continuing and they just kind of stop at what it is that was said. So if you were to say riot, it doesn't necessarily stir. um, If you say the word riot, it doesn't necessarily stir conversation about what it is they're rioting for. Mm -hmm. You just kind of stop at the violence. If you say there's a protest, then it makes you wonder, what are they protesting for? It feels a little bit more active and it feels like there's something that's driving that. Uh, Riot is also very uh, criminalized in our society. We hold a lot of value in property and in peace and in in (laughs) nonviolent demonstrations. So since they stir those words, while they may be present, some people have a negative connotation towards them. Uh, But other people don't sometimes. When I was speaking to... um, uh, professor from U of T, uh, I think Mississauga campus, he was talking about how he grew up in the UK 
and in his area there's a very uh there's a very well remembered riot that happened where people rose up and they fought for their rights and it's very revered and remembered in a positive way so he never had a negative connotation towards the term riot he used it very frequently and then started to realize that some people don't so he kind of shifted his shifted his language and started using social unrest instead and, and what was the name of your article let me pull it up i can find it it's the thing with the daily paper i feel like you write every day Uh, the article was called a riot or an uprising a boycott or strike the terms that have defined protests against anti-black racism and how to use them mm -hmm. yeah and i specialize i mean ooh, whoa i especially think that when especially in america or just the western world where these movements are very politicized and very partisan like just like partisan politics and different political parties a lot of different sides use different terms to sort of cater to their audience. So, mm -hmm. like, for Fox News, you'd probably see the terms riots and uprising and unrest. But then on CNN, you'd hear protests or movements, something like that really just mm -hmm. resonates with their audience. And that's so yeah. dangerous because it just forms a rhetoric or a narrative about one specific thing. Yeah, that's funny because uprising, yeah. uprising came, came across as a in more of a positive light oh. than riot from what I, from people I was talking about. Like they, that was actually um, how the Ronnie King riots were kind of renamed, mm -hmm. the LA riots or the LA uprising is mm -hmm. how it's known in some circles. Um, and it's two different kinds of things. Like uprising, you're kind of like uh, fighting back against the system. I think that. I think that regardless, actually, now that I even said those words, fighting back against the system, regardless, that's going to have a negative connotation for people who are being coddled by the system or people who benefit the most from the system um, mm. and want it to stay that way. Yeah, I agree. That's a key, that's a key point to it because some people are fine with sharing the resources. It kind of depends on how much of a scarcity model you have in your mind <laughs> that there's only so much rights to go around, <laughs> but that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. So... Should we, so the people who are being coddled by the system and are resistant to this type of change, should we actively censor that type of racism or prejudice that we see? Or is it more about education? Hmm, that's a, I'm not sure if that, I think it's a difficult thing to, Thank you for listening to part one. To continue the rest of this interview, tune into part two.